Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you are looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. As I was getting ready for this week, <clears throat> this weekend's message, I kind of, you know, took a, a second and asked the Lord, you know, should I be talking about something related to everything that's going on? Should I be talking about something, you know, should I make some kind of message specific to the coronavirus or people dealing with the coronavirus or something like that? And, and as I got into my prayer time, I, the Lord just really reminded me of something, <clears throat> and that's this. The Word of God is applicable no matter the situation. Whatever is in God's word applies whether things are going great, whether they're not going great, whether you are on top of the mountain or you're at the bottom of the valley. And so as I kind of felt the the kind of the nudge to continue with our series on worship, it's only because of this. The word of God applies no matter what's going on around us. If you're someone who three weeks ago, before all the craziness, you know, kind of hit and the globe, you know, decided there was going to be a pandemic. Um, If you're one of those people who was on top of the world, you had all the money in the world, your family was going good, your job was going great, your career was popping off, you know, everything was going really well, then the word of God for worship applies to you. Or if you're on the other end of that coin, here we are three weeks later, and you may be sick or fighting sickness, or God forbid you know someone who is, who is struggling with this virus that's going around, or things are not going well for you, or your family's not as well as you'd like it to be, or whatever the situation is, if it's a negative end, the word of God about worship applies to you. We're going to see just how this attitude and this following the biblical mandate of of worship applies no matter what's going on. And so I was reminded of that this week, and I want to remind you of the same thing. Whenever you're in Scripture, you don't have to go hunting for something that applies for you at this moment. You're going to find that the Word of God applies to you regardless of the scenario that's around you. So I hope you guys got uh, the email or saw the link below the um, below the Facebook Live post here where you go get your notes. We, we do a lot of notes here at Roots Community Church so we can kind of understand and uh, make sure that we write down the things that our Lord's, uh, the Lord is speaking to us. <clears throat> and so there are some notes there for you. So we're going to go through them. So if you hear me refer to them, uh, that's what I'm talking about. So I hope all you guys got a chance to go grab them. So I, I learned very early in ministry that uh, this statement, and it's going to be the first two lines in your notes there. It says there's two times to worship God. Two times to worship God. And that first line in your notes there is, when I feel like it. When I feel like it. It's the first time to worship. And the next line in your notes, the second time to worship, you can probably figure where I'm going this with this, is when I don't. So there are two times to worship God, when I feel like it and when I don't. <clears throat> and so what we're going to talk about today are physical expressions of worship. And it doesn't matter if everything around us is going great <clears throat> or if everything is falling apart or if it's kind of just trudging along, same old mundane kind of kind of days. <clears throat> there are two times to worship, when we feel like it and when we don't. And so we're going to continue on in our series on worship today, and it'll wrap up next week. But uh, tonight, I wanted to share three things 
um, three physical expressions of worship that you will find in Scripture and that Christians and believers and followers of Christ do all the time. I don't know if you've been in a worship service or a, a time where people have sang or you just watched Nina here and she, she had some physical expressions of worship, lifting up her hands and different things of that nature. I want to make sure that us as Roots Community Church, or even if you're not a part of our, our local Christian fellowship, or if you're a believer in Christ, I want you to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Not just to do something out of tradition or because we saw somebody else do it or because, you know, I was told to do that as a kid and now I'm in church and I just do that. I want to get down to understanding why we do some of these things. And so the first thing that we're going to talk about this week, number one there on your notes, the first physical expression of worship we're going to, um, we're going to discuss tonight is this, kneeling down. It's kneeling down. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this one because the first message in this worship series was all about the word shakah. And it means, it's an Old Testament Hebrew word that means to physically kneel down, to get on your knees. <clears throat> and the reason um, that this is important to the old biblical um, text is because when people would kneel down in front of someone, it meant I was submitting to the one that I was kneeling towards. If you'll remember the old story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they refused to bow down to the king. They refused to shalkah. They refused to kneel down and tell him, I am submitting my life to you. They refused to do that. That's what this is referring to. So let's read Psalms 95 verses 1 through 7 together, okay? <clears throat> I'm reading this out of the NLT. Come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to Him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to Him. For the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. He holds in His hands the depth of the earth and the mightiest mountains. The sea belongs to Him, for He made it. Well, all right then. His hands form the dry land too. That means he, he made all of that. It's all belonging to Him. Now watch this. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God. We are the people He watches over, the flock under His care. This is a perfect example of how the Scripture applies to us today. Because if you are a follower of Christ, you're a believer in Christ, you have given your life to following God, we are His people that He watches over. That is good news. We are the flock under His care. We are under His care. So, what I want to encourage you to do is this. When you are by yourself, <clears throat> when you're by yourself in, in a time of worship, in a prayer time, and if you're just spending some alone time with the Lord, or if you're in a corporate setting, if there is something in you that says, man, God, I, I, I'm singing this song, I am praying to you, I'm worshiping you, I, I want to do something more to show you that I want to submit to you, then I'm going to invite you to physically kneel down. I'm going to invite you to do that old word, shalkah, and in doing so, it's a physical expression of me saying, God, I submit to you. I am underneath you. So that next line on your notes there is the act of kneeling is an outward expression of submission, submission to Almighty God. I'll say that again. The act of kneeling 
is an outward expression of submission to Almighty God. We need to make sure that when we spend time with the Lord, we are telling Him, my agenda is off the table. My desires are being set to the side. I want what you want. My life, my goals, my vision, my dream for my life, all that's set aside, I want to follow you. I am submitting to you. It's the first thing. Our first physical expression of worship is kneeling down. The second physical expression of worship we're going to talk about today is this. Number two on your notes, lifting our hands. Lifting our hands. Now, the people of Israel lived in a culture of sacrifices. The next line on your notes there if you're following along with me. The people of Israel lived in a culture of sacrifices. Now, here's what this meant. There were two mandatory sacrifices the children of Israel had to do. There was two of those that were required. Okay, The first one was a sin offering, and the next one was a trespass offering. So the next line in your notes. The sin offering and the trespass offering. The sin offering was exactly what it sounds like. It was for the forgiveness of sins. It was, this was before Jesus' time, before he died on the cross for us. It's back in the, in, the, in the old biblical culture of Israel. They're following the law of Moses. And they were to bring, every so often, an animal to sacrifice for the forgiveness of their own sins. The second, that second offering, the trespass offering, was actually to cover any sins they may have committed that they didn't know about. It was to cover them in the, in the event that they had committed wrong against their family or against some friend or someone else. They had done something wrong, and this was required to have a trespass offering. Then, on to, after that, there was an option to do more. There was an option to just go past what was required, the sin and the trespass offering, and to do something called a free will offering. The next line in your notes there is, they had the option to give an additional free will offering, which was a specific type of offering. Sometimes it was grain, sometimes it was livestock, sometimes it was from their crop. And it was to do this. Those, those extra free will offerings were to show love, appreciation, and gratitude to God. When people made those additional sacrifices, they were saying, look, it's not enough for me just that God is going to forgive my sins. That is massive. It's not enough that I'm going to give a, a secondary offering to cover anything that I have done. I may not even known that I have done wrong. But I want to go above and beyond that And I want to do something extra to show my appreciation, my love, and my gratitude to God. Now, with that in mind, let's read Psalms 141, verses 1 through 4 together, okay? O Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry for your help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. The writer of this psalm is saying, God, I, I want, I'm singing to you. I'm, I'm talking about your goodness. I'm worshiping you. But I want to do something extra. So please accept an extra, an, an extra offering, 
an extra example of my love, my gratitude, my appreciation to you. And so that expression was uplifted hands. If you are in a worship service or you're singing songs or you're praying to the Lord by yourself and you have a moment of intense, extreme gratitude, you can always put up your hands in the air, both of them, and say, God, I, I, I'm, I'm thankful for this, my sins being forgiven. I'm thankful that you have covered me with your blood and with your grace. But God, there's so much more in me. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to put my hands up in the air as an additional sign, as, an exa- as another example, as an additional offering, a free will offering, please accept this, my hands raised, as a sign of love, gratitude, and appreciation for everything that you have done for me. Letter A in your notes there, the first thing that lifting our hands does is this. Lifting our hands is an offering to the Lord. It's an offering to the Lord. I want to go back at that scripture one more time because there's something else that lifting our hands can mean as well. Oh Lord, I'm calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you and my upraised hands as an evening offering. Take control of what I say, oh Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift towards evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. You can probably hear at the beginning here, this is the psalmist is asking the Lord for help. This raising our hands, that next the letter B in your notes here, the lifting our hands is acknowledging we need help, and our dependence on the Lord. When we lift our hands, it is acknowledging that we need help and acknowledging our dependence on the Lord. I want to give you a quick <clears throat> illustration for this. So I'm going to have my nephew Troy help me out here real quick. <clears throat> so Troy, come here, buddy. This is Troy. He's five. You want to wave at the camera? Don't look so happy to be here, man. Smile. Yeah. You can show some teeth? Okay. <clears throat> well, anyway, so this is, this is Troy. This is my nephew. I love this little guy. He has spent uh, time at our home uh, quite a bit. He's been here for um, a little too long. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. He's been here for several days and uh, just been spending... Yeah, there you go. Wait there, buddy. That's good. <clears throat> well, um, so Troy, one of the things that before all the pandemic hit and everything, when he would come over and with his sister, Silei, my niece, they would, um, we would take them down the street to the donut shop. Now, this is a problem for me because I live one mile from my favorite donut shop in the world. And this is a problem. And so I take the back roads to avoid driving by it every single day on the way to work because if I drive by it every day, I'm going to have a problem. Some of you guys know what I mean with the, the quarantine food that we've been eating around here, right? So, but we buy Troy his donut. Okay, can you, what's your favorite donut that you always ask me for? Chocolate donut. A chocolate donut, but it's a, a long john, right? A chocolate long john. So Troy loves a chocolate long john. Now, I don't know if you've seen a long john before, but they're really narrow and long like this. But still, that thing is too big to fit in his mouth. He can't fit it in there. So <clears throat> what he does is he just kind of crams it in there, and he gets chocolate all over his face, and he's 
doesn't want the chocolate on his hands. And so what's he do with every five-year-old, you know, wipes their hands on their shirt. And so after he is done annihilating this donut, this chocolate long john, that's his favorite thing in the world, he has chocolate all over his face. He's got it all over his shirt. But there's a problem. He's five. He's not big enough to go into the bathroom and see the mirror of his, of his own face. He's not tall enough to do that. So he's relying on someone else to help him. So what happens is, is I look at his shirt and go, buddy, do you like that donut? And he says, yes, I love the donut, Uncle Matt. <clears throat> he says, yes, I love the donut, but because he's wearing all the chocolate on his face and on his shirt. Well, Troy, being five, do you know how to do laundry yet? You do? Do you know how to wash clothes? No, not yet? Okay. So uh, knowing my sister-in-law, he's only five. By the time he hits six, he will know how to do laundry. That's a side point. But so Troy doesn't know how to do laundry. He doesn't know how to clean his own clothes yet. He will. He doesn't know how to, he's not tall enough to go see his reflection in the mirror. And so when he comes to me and he says, Uncle Matt, I have stuff. And I tell him you have stuff on your shirt. And he says, I want a new shirt. What do I do? We go somewhere, something that's been prepared for him. And we find him another shirt. And when I come back to him, I say, we're going to change your shirt. And the way we do that is put your arms up. So when he puts his arms up, I'm able to take what is dirty off of him. And I'm able to replace it with something clean. Thank you, buddy. Thank you for your help. <clears throat> so here's my point. When you put your hands up, you are asking your father who sees things that you can't see, has more experience than you'll ever have, has more ability than we'll ever have, and has things prepared for us that we can't see. We're asking him for help. So another thing that's happening when we put our hands up in the air, we're asking God, we're acknowledging, God, I need you. The focus is not on my weakness, it's on his great strength. And what we're saying is, God, I need you. I am acknowledging that I need you. And in those moments, he is able to do something for us that we're not able to do for ourselves. While our focus remains on him, he can take off some of the things that we can't do and clothe us in something clean. When we are lifting our hands, there's two things at play here. First and foremost, it is an offering to God, saying, I love, appreciate, and have so much gratitude for what you've done. But we can also, with our hands raised, say, God, I acknowledge that I am not enough by myself. I need your help. Will you please help me? And if you're in prayer... And you need God to move on your behalf. My friends, I'm telling you, lift your hands to the one who has everything, all knowledge, all power beyond what we have ourselves. The last thing we're going to talk about today, the last physical expression of worship, number three on your notes there, is clapping our hands. Clapping our hands. Psalms 47 verses 1 through 4 says this, 
It has a little title on the psalm, which is important, and I'll come back to that. It says, For the choir director, a psalm from the descendants of Korah. Then it says this, Come, everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise, for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the, king, the great King of all the earth. He subdues the nations before us, putting our enemies beneath our feet. He chose the promised land as our inheritance, the proud possession of Jacob's servants who he loves. When I read this, um, I thought I would find a whole bunch of scriptures, especially in Psalms, that talk about clapping our hands. I was surprised to find that when I did the search on my Bible software, and I looked for that word clap in Psalms, I only found it twice. And the only other time besides this one that it's used, it's used as a metaphor of the water, of the sea, of the ocean, having these giant waves that collapse on each other. And when that collapsing wave makes that crashing sound, they use it as a metaphor as if the water is clapping its hands. That's the only other place this is used. And so as I began to look at this and say, okay, well, it is scriptural to clap our hands and I'm not talking about the rhythmic clapping. And so just let me stop right here for a second for all you rhythmically challenged people out there. Um, please clap on the two and the four of the beat, not the one and the three. And if you don't know what that means, um, find somebody who does music and ask them because every worship leader and every musician from this point forward in your life is going to really appreciate it. Avoid the one and three, stay on the two and four. Okay, I'm going to go back to the message. So... I, lo- I looked at the scripture and I thought, for the choir director, a psalm from the descendants of Korah, why is it so important to say that this psalm was written by the descendants of this, of this man, Korah? And so I went back and I started reading and, and, and researching and, and reading the story of this man, Korah, which I had honestly, I had either forgotten or I'd never read before. And I'll summarize it for you. It's in Numbers chapter 16 if you want to read it a little bit later. But Moses and Aaron were God's appointed people to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. They do that. They cross the Red Sea. There's been these great miracles. But Korah doesn't like that they're in charge. He actually, in the next line of your notes here, Korah staged a rebellion with 250 other men and opposed the leadership of Moses and Aaron over Israel. He staged a rebellion. He actually took this group of men and went and told Moses, why do you think that you get to rule over all of Israel and lead the, the, the nation? Why do you think you get to do that? Now, I'm a sports guy, right? Everybody knows I'm a big Laker fan. Woohoo! Whenever they play again, they will wrap up the championship, hopefully. Um, but... These in sports, they have Hall of Fame people. So, a Hall of Fame for basketball is Michael Jordan, it's Magic Johnson, it's Kareem Abdul Jabbar, it's Hakeem Olajuwon, it's Isaiah Thomas. It's all these guys that when you look at them, you go, man, those are the top rung basketball players. Out of everyone who's played, those guys are it. If you're a, if you're a football guy, you know, you can look at the Hall of Fame for. Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and Troy Aikman and all these other guys who are Barry Sanders and Deion Sanders who have these great careers and they're in this Hall of Fame. If the nation of Israel or the Jewish people had a Hall of Fame, 
Moses and Aaron would be in that Hall of Fame. You're talking Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, David, Solomon, Samuel, all these great men of Israel. These are the top guys, and Moses is in that class of people. He is up there. And this guy, Korah, stages a rebellion against the guy God picked to lead his people. Moses falls on the floor, on his knees, and says, Lord God, let it be known who you would have to lead your people. Tells Korah and his whole crew, hey man, let's meet tomorrow morning, and the Lord will show us through a physical sign who is supposed to be leading. The Bible says that Korah came with all 250 of his people, all of those men that were with him, and they stood across almost like a face-off with Moses and Aaron. And when they cried out to the Lord, the Bible says that the earth opened and swallowed Korah and all of his whole crew and then closed back up. Now, I don't know if that was like a sinkhole. Like if you're in the south or from the south, if you know what a sinkhole looks like, it just the, the ground just drops right out. I don't know if that was like a... Um, an old Indiana Jones movie where everything, you know, shook on the screen and the ground parted and then they fell and it closed back. I'm not sure what that exactly looked like. I just know that God said, hey, Moses is my guy and he opens up the ground to eliminate, to kill Korah and the entire rebellion at that moment. If I was sitting there and walked up with Korah and was wondering who was the leader of Israel for that day, I'd be like, hey, Moses. Uh, what you need, man? Uh, the ground just opened up and swallowed Korah. I think you're probably the guy, right? So God made it very clear that Moses and Aaron were his chosen people, his chosen leaders to lead his people. Korah is the person who rebelled against him, yet his descendants are the ones who wrote this psalm. Several generations later, if you read the scripture and continue up with it, you'll find this. Many of Korah's descendants were actually some of, some of David's greatest army strategic war leaders. And another group of descendants were some of the greatest musician, orchestrator, worshipers of David's kingdom. They actually helped write some of these psalms, and this is one of them. When you go back and look at that and realize they came from a lineage of rebellion, of arrogance, of of haughtiness, if you're looking for a biblical word, of self-centeredness, of I want the attention. Korah was a Levite. He was among the priests, and he thought, I can do a better job than leading these guys. They were his descendants. Yet here they are right now saying, Come everyone, clap your hands. Shout to God with joyful praise for the Lord Most High is awesome. He is the great King of all the earth. You know what this tells me? The next line of your notes is very important. This is yet another example of how the Lord can transform those who were full of rebellion into worshipers of Almighty God, Jehovah. Now, if we were together, my guess is everyone would be clapping right there because that is great. That is a great feat for our God.
That is a great thing, a something worthy of applause, that he would take a rebellious, arrogant heart and transform not just the man, but the entire lineage that would come into people who were true worshipers of Yahweh, true worshipers of him. <clears throat> For the Lord Most High is awesome. When we... When I, when I go and I, I watch the, there's not much sports going on right now, so I, I watch the replays of, 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 of like the old school dunk contest where Dr. J or Michael Jordan runs and jumps from the free throw line and dunks the basketball. Or you watch, you know, some of these strong arm quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes launch a ball 70 yards for a touchdown pass. The Tyreek Hill running down the, the field. Or you watch somebody hit this massive home run to win a game or win a series. All of us applaud because, oh my gosh, that is something humanly awesome. It's something that we can't do. But if we would applaud when we see someone do something humanly awesome, we should be people who applaud the God who made everything. Has he ever done something awesome for you? If you are a believer, I'll answer the question for you. Yes. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. He rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father. He made a way for us to be reconciled with God so that we could get to heaven. That is number one on our list. It applies to everybody. But now I want to drill down just a little bit deeper. Has God done anything awesome for you? Has he taken a life that was off the rails and pulled it back and put it on the right track? Has he restored relationships that you thought were lost because of whatever scenario happened in life? Has he changed the heart of an arrogant, prideful, Pharisee, legalistic man like me into one that would have love and compassion for other people? I don't know about you, but for me, that was awesome. Has he done anything awesome? Has he done anything? My guess is if you're sitting there still watching this message, the answer is yes. And whenever I think about how great that act is, above anything else, there's something in me that wants to applaud the God who would take my own life and take it back into the right direction through grace, through mercy. If there is any time where you are sitting somewhere in your private prayer time or we're joined together corporately and there's something in you that says, yes, God took Something, and he made it, he took something that was so broken and made it into something. It is completely appropriate to put our hands together and clap and applaud the God who is awesome. The God who saves, who changes, he fixes, he repairs, he restores. That God is awesome and worthy of applause. You know, whenever we get together as Roots Community Church, I want to make sure every single person has the freedom to express their love for God in a physical way. 
If you're in a moment in our church services where we're singing or singing songs about the greatness of God or worshiping together, it is completely appropriate to kneel down. It is completely appropriate to lift our hands. It is completely appropriate to clap. If you get distracting, then we'll grab you and make sure you took your medication and let you back in the building. But, but with, if you will just in that moment with sincerity have the freedom to have a physical expression of worship wherever you are, you will find that it's another way to tell God how great He is. I'm going to live that out. I'm going to say the words of the song. I'm going to sing. And let me show you a practical way you can put that into, into practice. A couple weeks ago when we were, uh, I think it was our, our last Sunday together, um, physically together, Nina sang a great song by a friend of ours named James Huey called When I Think About the Lord. <clears throat> and when those lyrics, when she started singing those lyrics, when I think about the Lord, how He saved me, how He raised me, how He filled me with the Holy Ghost, how He healed me, to the uttermost when I think about the Lord, how He picked me up and turned me around, how He placed my feet on solid ground. When those words are being sung or we are singing those words, what should be going on in our head and our heart is remembering what track we were on, remembering what path we were on, and how God took that with His grace and His mercy and through the power of His Holy Spirit and through the death of His Son and shifted us back into the right place. When I think about all of those things, it makes me want to shout, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. At that moment for me, I don't know about you, but at that moment for me, there's something in me that says, I want to shout, I want to sing, I want to worship. <clears throat> Excuse me, but on top of that, I want to do something else. I want to express further my love and appreciation and gratitude to God, and my hands go up. Not because we're people who, who have, have some inside track to what it's really like to truly worship. No, this is another way we can give a free will offering to our God and to celebrate Him. Some of us in that moment may want to kneel down and go, man, He has done all that for me and I haven't submitted my life to Him. Then my friend, kneel. If you're talking about what a rebellious heart was like that was turned and you want to clap for a second, then my friend, clap. Because all of these are expressions, physical expressions of love, adoration, appreciation, gratitude, and worship to the greatest King alive. <clears throat> There's one last thing before we wrap up today that I, I want to ask you to do. I want to encourage you to do and I want to submit to you for consideration for your own family. I know a lot of people's roles have changed a little bit lately. Nina referred to it, you know, made mention of it earlier about some people have, you know, they have gone from maybe working a job or being a stay-at-home mom to a homeschool teacher. And hopefully you're not strangling your students, <laughs> any of them that, are, that you're trying to teach at your house. But what I want to encourage you to do is this. We cannot be together and join in a, in, in a spot for, we don't know how long, probably several more weeks. But this is the perfect opportunity to take our homes, the places where people are telling us 
to stay. Our government and our city leaders are telling us to stay home, to be at home, to not go out. I want to challenge you so while you're home to do this. Turn your house into a house of worship. It's the last sign of your notes there. It's a goal for us. Turn your home into a house of worship. How do you do that? By submitting to Almighty God. By honoring Him and what His requests are of us, obeying Him, being affectionate towards Him, talking about how great He is, and doing physical things and worshiping Him in spirit and in truth, like we talked about last week, making a decision here and through the power of our will that we will worship God, we will follow Him, and then here, lifting our hands, kneeling before God, clapping, applauding the greatness, because He is awesome. I'm going to encourage you this week, and going forward, that we just don't come and gather at a quote-unquote house of worship, that we leave a house of worship when we leave our home and arrive at another one in a corporate house of worship when we're together. Let everywhere that we are be a place of worship to Almighty God.